Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So, in the visiting the sacred places now, we've kind of uh, went through Mecca, we went through Medina. I would just like to say that uh, I encourage people, you go to this website, Islamic Landmarks. Islamiclandmarks.com, I think it is. But whatever it is, it's Islamic Landmarks. <coughs> and they have uh, resource guides. So they have a Mecca ziyarah guide, they have a Medina ziyarah guide, and they have a Jerusalem ziyarah guide also. Um, today I went and I reviewed the Mecca and Medina ones, and a lot of what we covered in the sessions here is in the guides, but it's better to see it in the guide because they have really nice pictures and diagrams, and, uh, and there's more on top of it too that you can't really explain in a lesson. You kind of have to read it. So they have like a picture and it'll say, like, it'll have a picture of, like, the Meshah Nebuwi with a little bit of the courtyard outside. And it'll have a red circle in the picture. It'll say, this is where the house of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari was, where the Prophet and them stayed while the Meshah was being built. You're not going to, like, you, if you don't see the picture, you can't get it, right? I can't. There's only so much explaining you can do. So the PDFs are there online. They're, they're free, and they're, they're really nice, actually. MashaAllah. So if you want to kind of review the stuff that we've covered in the written form, it's good there. And there's more too. There's some really, uh, some really nice things there. And probably also it took out some of the things that were extra that we covered that probably didn't need that much. So khair. Now we're going to move on to, uh, an obvi- this is going to be the last session of this before we leave. Because next week we're not going to have any classes uh, here in the Majlis until the return from Umrah. So this will be the last session. We're not going to be able to finish this today. So I'm going to do it on my own time. I'll just record them and we'll put them up on the SoundCloud and and the podcast and stuff. So now we're moving on to a booklet written by Dar al-Ifta al-Masriya. The Egyptian House of Fatwa has a booklet on Hajj and Umrah. By booklet, I mean that it's only 200 pages. (laughs) <laughs> and Hajj wal Umrah uh, Of course a lot of that is Hajj And it's not Umrah So we're not going to We're going to skip around Just as a point of note There is an English version On their website However the English version Does not match the Arabic version So Neither in its formatting and presentation Nor in its content uh, so that was kind of sad for me because the Arabic one is really nice. It's it's, a v- it's very well done. It's very beautiful, um, and there's a lot of good content here. But khair. So a lot of what we've covered up to this point has been kind of just like the history. It hasn't been the actual acts of Umrah and stuff like that, and kind of the shari stuff behind it. So now we're getting into that meat. So the, we're going to start with this section that they wrote. Hafidhuhum Allahu Taala wa nafalallahu yahum bi'alumi fi darin. Amin. He says, "La wusula ila Allahi illa bi tanazuhi an tuqyan al-shahwati wa al-khuruj an ghaflat al-ladati wa tajarud lillahi fi al-harakati wa al-sakanati wa li ajli hadha al-farad al-rahbaniyun fi al-minn al-salifati an al-khan." So basically, the point they're getting at here is that the person cannot go to Allah and without freeing themselves from their desires and freeing themselves from their their weaknesses and their 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 diseases of the heart and their heedlessness and so on and so forth with with all of those things impeding their relationship with Allah they cannot go to Allah and so he says and this is why in the previous nations 
there were all kinds of people who engaged in monasticism and this kind of stuff. You know, they just completely removed themselves from daily life in order to focus on worship, in order to be like separated from these kind of things. And that's something that happened in previous nations, but in our nation, uh, he says that, or, or they say here, that بعث الله عز وجل نبيه محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم لحياة طريق الآخرة وتجديد سنة المرسلين في سلوكها وشرع الحج للناس سياحة لهم تجرد لله تعالى تهذيب وتربية لنفوسهم. There's really beautiful expressions they have in here. So he says that. The, the Prophet ﷺ was sent to revive the way of the messengers and to bring back the, the method by which one can come closer to Allah. And so the Hajj was obligate, made, made an oblig obligation upon the people as they're kind of like traveling in the earth and they're releasing themselves from their normal constraints. So this is an opportunity for them then to, to break away from these things and to focus on purifying themselves and rectifying themselves and seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and in this course, a man uh, came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and he said, Ya Rasulullah, then leave siyaha. He said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, allow me to travel. Like basic siyaha in modern Arabic is like vacations and traveling, leisure type stuff. So he's asking him, like, Ya Rasulullah, allow me to go out and do the, like, you know, Take a, take a load off and travel and all this kind of stuff. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Inna siyahata ummati al-jihad fi sabilillah. This is the Prophet ﷺ. He said, the siyahat of my ummah is jihad. When hajju no'un min anwa'a al-jihad. This is their like little link. That's not in the narration. The narration stops. <laughs> the narration says, the vacation of my ummah is jihad. Traveling, why would you travel in the earth? This is why you would travel in the earth. This is ajeeb. But then he says, Yeah, so then they bring the next narration, which is that the Prophet ﷺ described Hajj and Umrah as a type of jihad. So the Prophet ﷺ described these things as a type of jihad. So, you know, um, that Hajj is a jihad and Umrah is an extra act of worship. That's not easy, right? It's an extra thing that you do. Um, and there's many different narrations and stuff that equivalent hajj in particular with jihad. Uh, there's other benefits that come from these acts of worship uh, uh, of the hajj and the umrah. One of them that's mentioned here is salah al-qalb. That it's a means by which the heart is purified. It's a means by which the heart is purified. Because they, they lodge in the heart of the person the deep concepts and ideas of journeying to Allah and fleeing to Allah. Fafirru in Allah. Allah says in the Quran, Fafirru in Allah. So flee to Allah. And the, the acts of Hajj and Umrah, they push us to do that. Uh, that you're leaving behind your family, you're leaving behind your home. Even if your immediate family goes, the rest of your family might not be with you. But oftentimes, you know, family, home, comforts, even now. Even now, you know, it's not as hard as you're not riding a camel in the desert for days or something. But you're still going to get on the plane and like it's going to be stuffy. The air pressure is going to be funky. All the kids are going to be sick. They're going to be sneezing on you. And it's going to be 14 hours and the food's going to be whatever it's going to be. And like it's still not going to be home, right? There is some level of jihad to just leaving. Just going and putting yourself through that. And inevitably in all trips like these, 
there are extra things that happen that you don't anticipate that make things more difficult. <laughs> and oftentimes there's extra gifts that you didn't anticipate either. But there's usually extra difficulty too. So we have to kind of like prepare ourselves for that. To, that it will, uh, you know, there's some effort that's going to come through this. Uh, but it's a means by which then the heart is purified. The second, a second benefit in this is that one connects with the history and civilization of Islam. Right, the history and civilization of Islam. When we covered the history of Mecca and Medina, it's like this masjid's here because the Prophet ﷺ prayed to Raqqa. And this masjid's here because this is where this happened. And then Abu, uh, Al-Abbas came and they did the Salat al-Istisqa here. And this is here. This is where they give bayah to Abu Bakr. Like all this stuff is the history of Islam. And it helps us to learn these kind of things. Uh, and of course we are commanded to follow the way of these people who came before us. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, So they are the ones who Allah has guided, so follow their guidance. They are the ones who Allah has guided, so follow their guidance. So learning these things and understanding the history and you know, following in the footsteps of Hajar alayhi salam, following in the footsteps of Sayyidina Ibrahim and Sayyidina Ismail and uh, and all of the prophets actually. Like one of the beautiful points in the books when you're reading about the Hajar al-Aswad and kidr- kissing the Hajar al-Aswad, you say like it's not just that the prophets alayhi kissed the Hajar al-Aswad. It's that countless prophets before him kissed the Hajar al-Aswad and countless people after him kissed the Hajar al-Aswad. Like it's not just one person, even though the Prophet ﷺ is the greatest of all human beings, right? But it's 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 a it's a, even a bigger history than the Prophet himself. It's a history of everyone that came afterwards, everyone who came before. I mean, when we studied, what was it, Masjid al-Khayf? The Prophet ﷺ said about Masjid al-Khayf in in the I think it's the south side of Mina, that uh, that seventy of the prophets prayed in this spot. Yeah, so it's not just one person. You're going and experiencing part of this this huge thing. Even though the Prophet ﷺ, of course, is Khatim and Nabiyin and Sayyidu Khanqillah, he's the greatest of all of Allah's creation. Sallallahu alayhi um, Subhanallah, here's another narration. Um, where is this? So there's a place between the two Haramain that's closer to Medina. Closer to Medina, it's called the Roha. The Prophet ﷺ, there's a narration. He says, "لقد مر بالسخرة من الروحاء سبعون نبياً حفاتاً عليهم العباء يأمون بيت الله العتيق منهم موسى نبي الله." It's amazing. He said, "Sallallahu alaihi wasallam," that this place where there's this there's this particular rock in this area of Roha that's on the way between Mecca and Medina, or Medina to Mecca. He says, 70 prophets pass by this place barefooted." Wearing their wearing their thobes and stuff like that, seeking the seeking the ancient house of Allah, and from them was Sayyidina Musa, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So he says, "Like you're following in that footsteps." Number three that they mention here is that there's like a a unity that comes from the experience of Hajj and Umrah. Uh, for Americans, I've noticed that sometimes this is harder for Americans because we tend to be extremely judgmental over everyone else in the world. So we go and we just think like we know everything so much better than everyone else and all these people they're backwards and we're so civilized mashallah and the, so sometimes the Americans don't always reap the benefits of the unity and like that feeling of unity and hajj so if we can put that on hold for just a few minutes and like try to uh, appreciate the beauty of people's dedication and their commitment and their love for Allah and his messenger like yeah they might do something sometimes you're like oh that's interesting 
but the love that they have in their heart is probably better, greater than ours, right? So, at least we should try to acknowledge that and recognize that this is we're one ummah, we're one ummah in the end, and this is a, a joining of the ummah, which is a beautiful thing. He said also one of the one of the blessings of Hajj and Umrah is that in it there's a, an element of civilization building. This is a really interesting point. There's an element of civilization building because. In order to answer the call of Hajj and Umrah, you have to have money. <laughs> like you have to have some level of sustenance in order to call to answer the call of Hajj and Umrah. So in order to an- in order to be able to do it at all, you have to build something. And so you have communities of people that will build things and they'll build institutions and and, and means and capacities and organizations and businesses and everything else will have to be able it has to come into existence in order for this trip to occur. Uh, like how many things have to be in place for the trip to occur and if the people care about the trip which they do then all of those things are going to come into existence as a result of it so that's kind of a cool point too another wisdom is that there is a level of courage and sacrifice that's involved in it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِنْ حَجِّ يَأْتُوكَ رِجَانًا وَعَلَى كُلِّ دَامْرٍ يَأْتِينَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَجٍ عَمِينَ which really is like the, the it's so true especially if you watch um I'll, I'll translate the verse don't worry if you watch uh, circling i encourage people to watch circling the house of god with martin lings you can find it on youtube martin lings the one who wrote the sira book he was like an english muslim scholar uh rahmatullah and he has a really cool documentary called circling the house of god and it's old like old old he he made his hajj in uh forget what year he said i think it was like 40 some late 40s or something if anyone who watched it remembers so he's talking about how like when he made his hajj the the kiswa of the kaaba was still coming from egypt to that was like how it was for centuries it came from egypt to to arabia uh that that he it was on the ship that he took from cairo <laughs> the kiswa was on the ship they went to there and it has all these old images somehow of like what Mecca looked like and all the people and they're like all riding camels and like and it's it's crazy so you see when you see it like that you're like subhanallah people like when you really step back I think I think when you have airplanes and stuff and technology and video and things you don't think about how incredible Hajj is (laughs) but if you think about like before all of these things all of the Muslims and all of these disparate lands all the way to the east and all the way to the north and all the way to the south and all the way to the west they know when Dhul Hijjah is and they know when the days of Hajj are and they know when to set out from their land on the days of Hajj and they're going to go by boat and they're going to go by land and they're going to go by whatever they're going to go by and they're going to all of a sudden converge in these days on this place to stand in Arafah without reservations without like there's no booking system it's just all of them are going to land in Arafah and they're going to know what to do in Arafah. They're just going to throw up some tent. Whatever they can. And when they get to Minna, they're going to just... Whatever they're going to do in Minna, they're going to stay in Minna for three days. Right? And the, and they're going to throw their rocks. Like, there, I found an old picture in that Islamic Landmarks book of the Jamarat in, like, the 1950s or something. It's, like, cute almost. <laughs> it's, like, this little circle and there's the little pillar. And there's, like, 50 people around it. And they're just, like, throwing... It's, like, totally subhanAllah. It's a different... It's a different thing, you know? So it's, but there's a, there's a level of courage and sacrifice that's needed to do that. You know, you're going to go out from your land. You might not make it back. People left their wasiyah. They left, 
they left their their wills with their family all of these kind of things right uh, because you don't know what you're going to find along the way but you're going to go anyways and six he mentions that or they mention that it is an act of wor- like it's a it's the worship of a lifetime it's the worship of a lifetime again i think with sometimes when people have um, extra money and transportation is easier even now the visas that we're getting for umrah now are not like the single umrah visa they last for a year you can go as many times as you want i was looking at our hotel google maps messed up everything too <laughs> in a sense because like you know everything i'm like okay so which hotel do we have even 10 years ago we didn't know that right, i look found the hotel on google maps i can see what's next to it what's around it so on and so forth if you find it on google maps and then the thing opens and it says hotels.com 110 dollars per night <laughs> this booking.com this much per night now, all of it's there which is just completely insane but in, in the end this is the it's the worship of a lifetime you know it's the worship of a lifetime there's different worships that we have that take place in different places there's the daily prayers there's the jamaah prayer there's the eid prayer and then there's the meeting of the people in the haramain that's its own that's its own worship you know hmm. the fadal of hajj and umrah most of these actually are about umrah so the virtues of hajj and umrah most of, i mean most of these are about hajj i'm sorry most of these are about hajj because obviously there's greater greater reward in Hajj, but some of them are about Umrah. For example, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "An Umrah to ilan Umrati kafaratun lima bainahuma, wal Hajjun mabrur leis Allahu jazaun illa Jannah." He said, "Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Umrah to Umrah is an expiation for everything that came in between it, and Hajj, an accepted Hajj, the only reward for it is paradise. So between the two Umrahs is you know that there's a blessing in that." This is a beautiful narration. It doesn't apply to Umrah, but it's still it's so beautiful that we still have to say it. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, the the people, the the Hujjaj, when they're on Arafah on the day of Arafah, Allah like brags about them is probably not a good word, but He's like so proud about them that He talks to the angels about it. So He says that uh, the Prophet said that Allah. <coughs> when he sees when when the people are on Arafah he tells the angels look at my servants they came from all over the place and they're covered in dirt and like they just came for this you know so it's like it's almost like he's reminding them you remember when I created these people <laughs> and you said Allah why are you creating these people they're going to cause the, like the when when Arafah happens Allah says the angels look at look at them now look at the people so it's really beautiful of course, the du'a is answered in these places. There's many, many places in the, uh, in the like, when you see the Kaaba, the du'a is accepted. When you make tawaf, the du'a is accepted. Between this side of the Kaaba, the du'a is accepted. When, you, when you're standing on Safa, about to make sa'i, the du'a is accepted. When It's like countless places where du'a is accepted in, in, uh, in these places. And of course, the Salat in the Masajid <coughs> has uh, a specific reward that the Salat in the Masjid of, in Mecca is worth a uh, hundred thousand times the reward of anywhere else and in the Masjid al-Nabawi a thousand times Salatun fi Masjidi afdalu min alfi salatin fi ma siwahu thousand in any other place in the Masjid al-Nabawi was Salatun fi Masjid al-Haram afdalu min mi'ati alfi salatin fi ma siwah hundred thousand for the Masjid in Mecca uh, there are times when the Umrah the Prophet said Umratun fi Ramadan taqdi hajjatan aw hajjatan ma'i it's two narrations. The Prophet ﷺ said, Umrah during Ramadan 
is equivalent to Hajj or Hajj with the Prophet with me, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he said and the person who died in Ihram uh, they also have a special rank that when the person dies in Ihram then the Prophet that happened in his time, he told them wash the person and uh, cover them but don't cover their head in this case uh, because when you're in ihram, so for the men, you don't cover your head in ihram. So if the, the man dies in ihram, they don't cover their head. Uh, because that person on the day of judgment, when they're brought back to life, they're brought to back, brought back to life, saying "Labbaik Allahumma labbaik, labbaik la sharika labbaik." Subhanallah. General etiquettes relating to Hajj and Umrah that the people should pay attention to. Number one, yanbaghi lil musafir. <coughs> Basically the person who's going They should be generous And they should try to do good things on their, on their own hands And they should try not to harm people So they're going on this trip They should be generous Anything that they're doing should be towards good And they should be trying to refrain from doing any sort of bad um, Number two Is that they should seek good company وَيَطْلُبُ رَفِيقًا صَالِحًا مُوَافِقًا رَاغِبًا فِي الْخَيْرَاتِ وَقَدْ قَالُوا الرَّفِيقِ قَبْلَ الطَّرِيقِ They should seek a righteous companion who will help them to do that which is good and push them towards khayrat. And they say that the, the person you go, like the company you, you choose your company before you choose your path. الرَّفِيقِ قَبْلَ الطَّرِيقِ they also say jar qabla dar. You choose your neighbor before you choose your house. Yeah. Um, <coughs> they make a nice point here that the most important companion that you can take on your journey is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you pay attention to the dua of traveling, the dua of traveling says what in it? In the middle of it, it says, Anta sahibu fi safar, wal khalifatu fil ahl. Says that when the person's making the dua, then they'd say to Allah, You are my companion in my travel, and you are the one who takes care of the family that I leave behind. This is part of the dua of travel. So the best company, the best companion that the person can take on their journey is the company of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by being constant in remembrance, being constant in dhikr, um, you know, remembering Allah as much as possible. And then, of course, after that, to keep the company of a good teacher is, uh, you know, من شيخ معلم يمنحك من ميراث النبي أو من أخ يذكرك بالله ورسوله ويأمر بالمعروف وينهاك عن المنكر. So I say, and of course, then the good company to keep is a is a sheikh who has something from the inheritance of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. May Allah give us their company, or a brother or sister who will command you to good and encourage you to take advantage of the situation and so on. Number three is. That they should be good to their companions in their trip as much as they can. They should have ihsan to their companions in their trip. So the people that they're traveling with, they should try to take care of them. They should be good to them. They should be gentle with them. They should ha- take help them with their needs, so on and so forth. Uh, it says, even to the extent that the animal that they ride with, they should be good to the animal that they ride with. Uh, one time I was traveling with someone of knowledge. And I noticed that when we got on the plane, he put his hand on the plane. Like when we were going to get on the plane, he put his hand on the plane. And he was whispering something. We went together and we came back together. And he did it both times. 
So I was like, okay, I gotta ask this. You know, <laughs> gotta figure out the story behind this one. So I asked him, and he was like, he was like, there's not like anything in particular behind it. So he wasn't trying to say like, don't think this is like particular. You know, he's just like, uh, basically, he's like, I like to just touch the plane and say salam to it and make the dua of writing and writing something. So it's like I just touched the plane and said, Salaam alaykum, subhanallah, He's like, you don't have to do it. There's nothing behind it. I just like to do it. You know, it's not. <laughs> but this is an example. Being good even to the animal that the person rides with, right? Even the animal they ride with, the car they ride with, the doors they close, you know, the way that they put their luggage in the in the top. <laughs> just like smash the luggage in. Uh, you know, it, the idea is just to be all of these things. They help us to be conscious, right? And the more conscious we can be, then the more we're going to get out of it. Um, <coughs> number four, he says that they should try to keep laughing and joking to things that are truthful. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't like say that you can't laugh or joke. Just to keep your laughing and joking to things that are truthful. Try not to lie. Um, try to go with halal income. Um, try to make one speech as much as possible things that are positive and good uh, things that are beneficial uh, they should learn the things that they need to learn before they go to Hajj um, they should try to refrain from their desires whatever those might be, might be they should return things to people that they borrowed from them if they're able to do so and like write any grievances that they might have with people <coughs> uh, they should make toba before they go. They should ask Allah for forgiveness and you know try to clean that slate as well. Um, they should write their will. I need to do that. Uh, and they should take a book with them that will help them to about the rules of what they're going to do. You know, it then it will help them. They can review it. They can keep it with them. So on and so forth. Um, and the more they the more they read it, the more because the idea is like the more the better you know the things, the better, right? Like if you just heard it once and you kind of generally know what to do, it's okay. But then you're gonna worry about it. But if you've reviewed it like five times, ten times, fifteen times, you know exactly like okay, now I can remember this is Baqiya, the so and so is buried in Baqiya. This is this, this is that. These are where the pillars are. In that like Islamic landmarks thing, they give you the pillars. This is the pillar of this, and in the Roda. There's there's like the pillar that has to do with where the tree trunk was that was crying. There's the pillar that has to do with there's the place where the Prophet Sallallahu used to make tahajjud. There's all these things, right? So yeah, you could remember it if you're looking at the paper. But if you don't have to look at the paper and you can still remember it, then you can just experience it, right? So you say you review it and re- go over it as many times as you can, and take the necessary money with you. Especially so that you can be generous with people if you can. So when they want to leave their house right before the trip, they say that they, they pray two rak'ah, and the first they Fatiha and Qunya Ayyuhan Kafirun, and the second one Fatiha and Qunhu Allahu Ahad. And then after the salah, after they say salam, they read ayat and kursi and the ilaf in Quraysh, the the surah that talks about going to and from Mecca, right? 
they also mention oh my god there's so many here in the rakat afterwards ayatul kursi and the ilafi quraish their parents should they should leave with their parents happy with them they should say goodbye to people uh, they should give some charity when they leave they should make as much dua as they can for themselves and for others they should try to maintain a state of purity like uh, to maintain a state of tahara to be on wudu uh, the good news is in the Hanafi madhab as long as you are sitting with your backside planted if you sleep you do not lose your wudu it's a very very important point for travel <laughs> very very important point for travel so you can literally fall asleep on the plane and wake up and pray if you're if you're sitting down usually you are it's hard to do other things on the plane um, if you can do other things then you know you should get up if like you have the whole row and you can get up and make wudu and stuff it's probably better to do that right but if you get stuck you're like in the corner somewhere and can't get out and fudge is coming fast because you're traveling which way does it come fast you travel east right mm-hmm. you travel east it comes like fudges it's like in and out in 25 minutes or something so you got you got to be quick <coughs> so you stay uh try not to eat too much don't be greedy um even in buying and selling you know buying and selling like it's okay it's manish uh, don't argue with people. Don't don't like fight with people over Zemzem and like Hajar and Aswad and stuff like that. Uh, be gentle as much as possible. Whenever it comes to the word majlis, I have to read it in Arabic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so he says they remember Allah and every every place that they sit, they should make dhikr. Every place they said they should make dhikr And they make as much La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah As much salawat as they possibly can uh, Every place that they go to They salli ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam <coughs> And of course to pray the five prayers in jama'ah And in the masajid as much as possible Okay so those are some of the etiquettes Now we are going to skip the hajj portion And we get to the umrah portion We're making good progress Still have 20 minutes. This is fantastic. Alhamdulillah. I noticed, by the way, that we've actually covered a lot of things. If you go to the SoundCloud account and you look at the playlist, it's actually a lot of hours of class time that we've had here. Alhamdulillah. Made me happy. Uh, what is this? Which section are we in? Okay, that's Tawafadifada. It's still Hajj. Hajj is big. Okay, Wajibat and Hajj. Okay, Sunan and Hajj, keep going. Ma Yufsun and Hajj, Kafarat, Malish, keep going. Umrah. Umrah. First things first. Umrah is to visit the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making tawaf and sa'i and the other things that are required. So, basic requirements of Umrah is ihram, tawaf, sa'i is the running between Safa and Marwa, and cutting your hair. These are the four things. Hukm uh, al-Umrah. First question is, what is the ruling of making Umrah? It's actually a difference of opinion amongst the scholars on the ruling of Umrah. Some of them said that it's obligatory. Some of them said that it's recommended. So uh, we don't have to go into a lot of the detail. 
but the point is that some of them said that it's obligatory, some of them said that it's recommended. Uh, Umrah has many benefits, as we've mentioned before. It is a means of expiating one's sins. It's a time when du'as can be answered. Um, and we already mentioned the hadith in that regard. So, Arkan al-Umrah. Okay, what are the... Uh, well, there's five, really. What are the foundations of the Umrah, the pillars of the Umrah? Things that you have to do them. If you don't do them, there's no Umrah. Okay, number one is Niyyah. It's your intention. And that's it goes along with the Ihram. The intention, it goes along with the Ihram. So, uh, in the Hanafi school, you have to actually make the dhikr too. You have to actually, you know, لبيك اللهم عمره. So it's a good thing to do. So basically what it is is you dress in whatever way that you need to dress. And uh, we'll go over that in more detail. And then um, and then once you get to the point of where you can make intention before the point. But it's just as soon as you make intention and you go into ihram, the rules of ihram apply. So that's why usually people wait <laughs> because there's some limitations, right? Um, but basically, you know, when we're... In our case, we're going to Medina first. It makes it a lot easier. So basically, when we're in Medina, before we leave the hotel, everyone will just get dressed the way that they want to be dressed for ihram. And we leave the hotel. And then the miqat is like not that far from Medina. So maybe half an hour or something. We get to the miqat. We'll get down. Dhun Halifa. We'll pray to rakat. We'll make intention for niyyah. Labaik Allahumma umrah. And then we go from there, inshallah, to, to Mecca. When you get to Mecca, we'll get situated in the hotel, take a little break, whatever, and then we'll go down and make Umrah. So which leads to the next point, which is Tawaf. And tawaf is seven circles around the Kaaba. Right? Seven circles around the Kaaba, starting from Al-Hajr al-Aswad. So you start at the Hajr al-Aswad, you say, Bismillah, Allah, Akbar. Make like a sign to it, because you're probably not going to be able to touch it. So you kind of like do like this. They said there's no issue with... if you, sometimes A lot of the books actually talk about doing it with a stick. It'd be pretty sick to make it tall off with a stick, but I haven't really seen people <laughs> do that as much, but that'd be pretty cool. And they say that whatever it is, like you can point with the stick if you have a stick towards the hajj, that's what you point with your hand if you have, if it's just your hand. And they said there's no issue if you want to kiss your hand afterwards or something, you know. And then you go on, you go around your, you make your, you make your rounds. Um, we mentioned before that when we're making, making the rounds of tawaf, then it's a good time to make dhikr. Specifically on the last face before Hajr al Aswad, it's good to make the dua Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adha bin nar. And you just say that on the last face before the Hajr al Aswad, and then you make seven rounds. Um, in the Hanafi school, actually, the first four rounds of the tawaf are fard, and the last three are wajib. This matters. These kind of things, they matter in like the extreme possibility situations. You know, like say someone actually they realize they only made six, would their hedge still be valid or not? Theoretically, in the Hanafi school, you could argue that it's still going to be valid. You just have to make up for it. Like if you leave something that's wajib, it's still valid. It still counts, but you have to uh, make up for it. By slaughtering an animal or something along these lines, right? Anyways, make seven. Okay, uh, go outside the Hatim, outside the Hajr Ismail, the half circle that's uh, next to the Kaaba. Go outside of it, make the seven. Uh, 
and that's it. They don't actually have. In some of the, there's a difference of opinion on like, can you take, could you like take an extended break? You know, maybe you get really tired. You only finish like three. Actually, when I went, the person I was with, uh, that individual took really extended breaks because they were unhealthy. They had like a certain health, I shouldn't say they were unhealthy. They had a certain health um, condition (coughs) that made it difficult to do all seven at once. So they do like three or four and then go back and do three or four more. Um, So that's one of the issues that comes up. I think we should try, try to do the, the all seven, inshallah, together. And if you have an extreme circumstance, we can talk about it, inshallah. Uh, one of the nice things there, by the way, also is that uh, always in the haramain, I mean, there's there's like iftat windows and even hotlines with translators and stuff. Like you can actually call the hotline and be like, this is my situation, what's the opinion on it? And those people are good to ask because that's what they do. Right? They, th- this is their specialization. Even, even in the early period, there was an understanding of that. Like Atta ibn Abi Rabah, um, uh, I think Tawus, they were like the imams of the monastic in the time of the Tabi'een. They were the ones who were specialized in, in, in these rulings. Uh, so, you know, if something comes up, we can deal with it, inshallah. Number three after the Tawaf is that one goes and they do the walking between Safa and Marwa. So here they're not going into a lot of detail yet because this is just the beginning. It's just the Fard part of it. It's not the extra stuff. But um, after Tawaf, one goes and they pray to Raka'at. Behind the Maqam Ibrahim They pray two rakat somewhere there In the direction Going like in the direction of Safa and Marwa Preferably But it doesn't have to be Anywhere in the masjid really And then uh, You drink from Zamzam You go to Safa And you start the Sa'i between Safa and Marwa Go up Safa Face face the Kaaba Make dua In the Safa and Marwa And so on So we go seven times Safa to Marwa 1, Marwa to Safa 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. For, for men between the two green between the two green marks, it's like uh, recommended to kind of like softly, it's not really jogging, it's kind of like, I think of it more like, you know that um, the protest kind of thing they do in South Africa? You see it in like old apartheid videos and stuff. It's kind of like that. It's not really a jog, it's kind of like you're just moving a little bit more. Um, don't hurt people when you run <laughs> You usually see that Some people are like really excited about their running uh, It's not really necessary <coughs> Another thing that's going to come up later But I'm just thinking of it now Is that Al-Ittiba' is sunnah for men in ihram during tawaf Which is the whole exposing the right shoulder So rather than covering the Putting the cloth all around and covering everything You put the cloth and put it under the right shoulder Expose the right shoulder they did that. That's the the Prophet Sallallahu did that, and uh, it was a show of force during the conquest of Mecca, and it became sunnah in the in the Tawaf in particular. So you go those seven, and then after that is to shave or cut one's hair. To shave or cut one's hair. For women, you just cut it. You know, cut like a little bit of the hair. Um, for men, it's preferred to shave the head. The Prophet Sallallahu specifically like made dua for those who shaved their head three times and they kept asking him and then the fourth time he said and those who sh- trim their hair um, however if one is intending to make multiple umrahs then after the first one they shouldn't shave like they shouldn't shave completely they should leave some hair because it's just going to get complicated to 
keep shaving, keep shaving, keep shaving. You want some hair to cut. Uh, number five is to do them in order. So these are the four things. You do them in order. They have to all be there. Okay. Now, uh, there's a lot of sunan, but they're in the section on hajj. So I have to move, I have to go back to find them. Uh, the Sunan of Ihram and Tawaf and Sa'i and Halq. So those are things that are mentioned there. So forgive me while I go and I look for them. I need to print this book. And the Islamic Landmarks books. So <coughs> Alright, so here's some of the sunan. Uh, first is to wash and uh, like, f especially for the men to put on some cologne and stuff before going into ihram. But not on your ihram cologne, not on the towels themselves, on your body. Uh, before doing that, so you know, when we're in the hotel, before we leave the hotel, like take a shower, like you normally would, take a shower, make intention, this is ghusl for ihram. And so on, and uh, then you can do that. Um, the next one is to do the talbiyah, the bayk Allahumma, the bayk, the bayk, the sharika, the bayk, and alhamdulillah, wal niyamat alaka, wal mulk, the sharika. So this is, uh, you know, to do that over and over again as much as possible. When one is going from the time to Medina to Mecca, just keep doing it, keep doing it. Uh, even if everyone on the bus isn't doing it on the microphone, it doesn't mean you can't do it. <laughs> you, can, you can do it without the microphone It still counts Inshallah um, Make as much dua as possible Okay, so that's gone I, It's somewhere else here I missed it mm. It can't be that that was all There must be other stuff Madish. I can't remember now I read too much in one day And now I can't figure out what's where Alhamdulillah it's okay, it'll come. Umrah, uh, we did, sunnahs. Okay. Adab ziyarat al-Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wal-muqoof amama qabrihi al-sharif sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam The etiquettes of visiting the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and standing before his grave. This visiting of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is from the greatest of the acts of worship, greatest acts of obedience, greatest of acts of coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is a means by which one uh, deserves his intercession on the Day of Judgment. And it's just a little bit of fulfilling his right, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to visit him. يُسْتَحَبُّ لِزَائِرًا يَنْوِي زِيَارَةُ الْمُصْطَفَىٰ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَيْهِ وَتَقَرَّبِ إِلَى اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ بِالصَّلَاةِ فِي مَشْتَلِيهَا شَلِيفٍ لِعَظَمِ ثَوَابِ ذَلِكُ كُلِّهِ عَنْدَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ So they make an intention. That they're going to visit the Prophet And they're going to do that as a means of coming closer to Allah And to pray in his masjid And to give salam to him And so on They make intention for all of that And then it's recommended for them And en route to Medina To make as much salah on the Prophet As they can Whatever you want All these type of things Uh <coughs> Uh, especially if they start to see like the limits of the city and the trees and the buildings and they start to feel like oh I'm getting close 
and they should ask Allah to make uh, to bring them benefit by visiting the Prophet them and to accept from them. Uh, it's recommended for them before they go into the masjid of the Prophet them to make ghusl and to beautify themselves as much as possible, to wear the best of their clothes, to smell nicely, so on and so forth. All of that before going to visit the Prophet them and to say salam to him. Uh, when they go to visit the Masjid and Nabawi, <coughs> they should feel in their heart that they're in Medina as a whole, that they're in the greatest place on earth other than Mecca. And when it comes to the place that the Prophet ﷺ, his body specifically is in, then they should know that that is the greatest of places in all of creation. I'll read you their ibadah, just so you know. There's one thing you can say, like, mm, like this is Dar al-Ifta in Egypt. It's important to remember that. This is the house of fatwa in Egypt. So that means, regardless of any like political issues people might have and so on and so forth, like, it's a valid position. <laughs> if they gave it to you, it's very, it's very, very unlikely it's going to be an invalid position because it's just too many scholars and too much history and too much stuff. So here's what they say. وَأَنَّ الْبُقْعَةَ الَّتِي تَضُمُّ جَسَدَهُ وَالشَّرِيفِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ هِيَ أَفْضَلُ بُقْعَةٌ فِي الْكَوْنِ فَهِيَ أَفْضَلُ مِنْ الْكَعْبَةِ بَلْ وَمِنَ الْجَنَّةِ وَالْعَرْشِ وَالْكُرْسِي بِإِجْمَاعِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ لِأَنَّهَا تَضُمُّ أَعْظَمَ مَخْلُوقٍ وَهُوَ الْمُصْطَفَى صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Says as for the piece of earth that holds the body of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that it is the greatest space in all of creation. It's greater than the Kaaba. It's greater than paradise, it's greater than the throne, it's greater than the footstool By the ijma' of the Muslims, by the consensus of the Muslims Because it holds the greatest of all creation <coughs> Someone said, well what about the throne? That's anthropomorphism <laughs> So what about the throne? It holds Allah No, it doesn't hold Allah, nothing holds Allah, Allah is not creation uh, Allah is not like the creation You can't describe it that way <coughs> uh, It's recommended also for the visitor As soon as they uh, Are getting close to entering the masjid Or as they enter the masjid Or just after they enter the masjid you know, Like this It's recommended for them to give sadaqah uh, Even if it's something small And they should keep in mind when they do so The verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said Ya ayyuhun ladhina amanu Iza najaytumun rasoola Faqaddimu bayna yaday najawakum sadaqah Thalika khayrun lakum wa atahar Fa'innam tajidu fa'inna Allah ghafoonun rahim Says, O oh, you who believe If you're going to discourse with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Then put forth some charity before your meeting That is better for you and more pure And if you don't find anything Then Allah is forgiving and merciful <coughs> because his sanctity وسلم, in his life is the same as after his death it doesn't change this is a command for him during his life it's the same it's still there during his death during, after his passing from the physical realm it's recommended to say they give a long thing here when uh, entering the masjid, uh, that one says, "A'udhu billahi al-'Azim bi-wajhihin kareem wa sultanihin qadim min al-Shaytan rajim." Bismillah. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma ghfir li dhunubi wa ftahli abwaabi rahmatik. 
So general du'as for entering the masjid. If they can pray their tahiyyat and masjid in the roda, they pray their tahiyyat and masjid in the roda. <laughs> and they express gratitude to Allah for this great blessing and they ask for it to be accepted. Then they go to the... So they pray their tahiyyat and masjid, then they go to the grave of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Tumayatin qabr al-sharif haythu sayyiduna wa habibuna sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fayaqifu mustaqbilan al-qabr wa al-qiblatu khalfa. So they go to the grave of the Prophet Sallallahu They face him and they put their back to the Qibla Okay And uh, They they look towards the Lower part of the gate Right, they look Towards the lower part of the gate And uh, They kind of like do that with humility And a level of, you know Filling their heart with awe And grandeur and 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 uh, appreciation for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, knowing that he is hayyun fi qabrihi, yasmau yarud, he is alive in his grave, hearing and answering. Then they say, assalamu alaik. Look at the whole thing. Assalamu alaik ya Rasulullah. Assalamu alaik ya Nabiullah. Assalamu alaik ya Khairatullah. Assalamu alaik ya Khairu Khanqillah. Assalamu alaik ya Habibullah. Assalamu alaik ya Nadir. Assalamu alaik ya Bashir. Assalamu alaik ya Tahir. Assalamu alaik ya Nabiyan Rahma. Assalamu alaik ya Nabiyan Umma. Assalamu alaik ya Abn Qasim. Assalamu alaik ya Rasulullah Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaik ya Khairu Khalaiqi Ajma'een. Assalamu alaik ya Qa'il and Gurrin Muhajjaneen. Assalamu alaika wa ala ali baytika wa azwajika wa dhurriyatik wa ashabik ajma'een Assalamu alaika wa ala sa'ir al-anbiya'i wa jami'i ibadillahi al-sanihin Jazakallahu ya Rasulullah anna afdala ma jaza nabiyan an ummati wa sanallahu alaika wa sallam kullama dhakaraka dhakir wa ghafala an dhikrika ghafil afdala wa atyab wa akman ma salla ala ahadam min al-khanqi ajma'een wa ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika na wa ashadu annaka abduhu wa rasunuhu khiratuhu min khanqihi وأشهد أنك قد بلغت الرسالة وأديت الأمانة ونصحت الأمة وجاهدت في الله حق جهادي اللهم آتيه الوصيل والفضيل وبعث مقام محمودا الذي وعدت وآتيه نهاية ما ينبغي أن يسأل السائلون اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد عبدك ونبيك ورسولك النبي الأمي وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وأزواجه وذريته كما صليت على سيدنا إبراهيم وعلى آل سيدنا إبراهيم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وأزواجه وذريته كما باركت على سيدنا إبراهيم وعلى آل سيدنا إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد وهذه الصيغة المستحبة وله الاقتصار <laughs> So this is the recommended form for the salam and they can shorten it if they want It's going to be too hard to translate all of that But it's basically all of these descriptions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم It's one of the things you can do any grave when you go to the grave and you say salam to the person you can describe them by multiple characteristics that they have Right, so Assalamu alayka ya Nabiya Allah Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah Assalamu alayka ya Abin Qasim Assalamu alayka khairu khanqillah It's just any description you can think of of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam You say salam with that description So you're elongating your salam to him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And they can shorten it if they want You know, whatever they can remember And if they can remember more then Alhamdulillah that's good It's better if they memorize it than they read it off of a paper uh, and then he says Then you give the salam Of all of the people Who ask that you give your salam To the Prophet So you say Assalamu alaykum ya Rasulullah Min fulan ibn fulan So you say Ya Rasulullah Assalamu alaykum to you From so and so From so and so 
So after they say salam, then they go to the right a little bit. Then they say salam to Sayyidina Abu Bakr. In a beautiful way. And then, you know, So they, similar to what they did with the Prophet they do something similar with Abu Bakr. Then they go a little bit to the right, do the same thing with Sayyidina Umar. Uh, and after they do that, he says that uh, they say here that after that, then they go back to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and uh, <coughs> they ask him. They ask Allah through him to help in their needs and uh, for all the people that they love. Uh, so this issue of asking when you're at the grave of the Prophet uh, seeking his intercession is permissible by the opinions of the four madhabs and they say here uh, because of this hadith of it's it's a hadith where um, uh, and an Utbi, he says, I was sitting on the grave of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He said, I was sitting at the grave of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and a Bedouin man came, and he said, Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah. I heard Allah say, Walau annahum idhanamu anfusahum jauka fastaghfirullah wa staghfir lahum al-Rasul la wajdullah tawabin rahima. So this Bedouin, he comes to the grave of the Prophet, he says, As-salamu alayka ya Rasulullah. Allah said, if they, if they, after they oppressed themselves, came to you, meaning the Prophet, and asked forgiveness from Allah, and that the Prophet asked forgiveness for them from Allah, they would have found Allah forgiving and merciful. So the Bedouin man comes and he quotes this verse. He says, As-salamu alayka ya Rasulullah, sami'atullah yaqul. I heard Allah say this, and he recites the verse. And then he says, and I came to you asking you uh, to seek forgiveness for my sins. Right? Like, seek forgiveness from Allah. The problem with this whole thing, the Muslims know who Allah is. Right? They know Allah is the one who forgives sins. So they're coming to the Prophet them and asking him this, to intercede with Allah on his behalf. Then he comes and he says some, some lines of poetry. Uh, then the man says, he asked, for, he asked for forgiveness, then he left. This is all the Bedouin. Then Utbi, he says, Then my eyes, they overcame me, and I fell asleep, and I saw the Prophet them in a dream. And he said, Ya Utbi, did you uh, go and find this Bedouin man and tell him that Allah has forgiven him? So all of, all of the Madahib, they quote this story, and they, they use this as a, as a reason for, um, for taking it. If I'm not mistaken, I think Al-Utbi was a Sahabi. Uh, but whatever, if you don't feel comfortable with it, don't do it. It's okay. I mean, this particular, there's different ways you could do it, but um, <coughs> like this particular way is to say, like, you know, like I'm here asking Allah's forgiveness, and Ya Rasulullah, ask Allah's forgiveness for me. That's what this is, right? But in like tawassul in general, uh, they just say, you know, like 
Allah, we ask your forgiveness by the rank of the Prophet them by the status of the Prophet. By the, that's like general tawassul. Uh, some of these things are fascinating. Maybe that will be a Monday class after we finish all these things. Like the way our understanding on some of these issues has been reframed, not based on what the fuqaha said in the past. Like the, the whole thing was just uh, completely overlooked. Which is fine, like take a position, but don't erase <coughs> history. <laughs> I mean, tawassul is, uh, anyways, don't want to get on the tawassul thing right now. It's not really important. We're visiting the Prophet. So the, the visitor should know that the Prophet is Hayyun fi Qabri. He's alive. I mean, the Shuhab are alive. Yeah, so the Prophet them and the Anbiya, they say yes, there's hadith about it and stuff. Ibn Hajr says about it, Ibn Hajr al-Asqalani, the one who commented on Bukhari, he says, Hayatuhu fin qabri la, he has a life in the grave that doesn't is not followed by, um, uh, he doesn't die. Al-Anbiya'u ahya'un fin quburihim. Ibn Hajr al-Asqalani says that the prophets are all alive in their graves. So, you know, they, they pay attention, they think about this when they're there. And they think about their relationship with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so on. There's many other quotes. But uh, they're going to get to be too much. And we're running out of time. But there's like a whole thing about Tawassul and like all these different ulama and muhaddithin and stuff. We've talked about Tawassul and how specifically Tawassul in these kind of places is very powerful for having one's du'as answered. Tawassul is asking Allah by the rank of something. So the Tawassul that's agreed upon, there's no debate upon it, is asking Allah forgiveness or whatever by one's deeds. So, oh Allah, I did this. If it was for your sake, forgive me. That stuff is it's there in the hadith. It's very clear. Nobody disagrees on it. The debate and stuff revolves around tawassul by like people or by the Prophet or by whatever else it might be. Uh, again, the point is that you're not asking that thing to... You're asking Allah by the rank of that thing. It's different. But again, we don't want to get into it too much. It's a little bit of a tangent here. Uh, they should seek to pray in the, in the roda. Um, it's okay, you know. Uh, I think I'll just stop here, 107, because it's going to keep going. I don't think the section ends anytime soon. Well, it kind of does. Let's see. It's okay that your back is to the qibla. The khatib, when he makes dua on Jummah, where is his back? The qibla. The imam, when they pray the salah and they turn around after the salah and they make dua, where is their back? The qibla. Facing the qibla is, a, is an etiquette of, of dua, it's not a condition of dua. So like to face the grave Even if you're facing the grave of the Prophet And you're saying salam and you're making dua You're not making dua to the Prophet You're making dua to Allah and you're facing the Prophet It's not It's not like so complicated Hasbunallah wa ni'man wakil They try to pray in the roda We said that they, uh, The Prophet said that the roda is a garden From the gardens of paradise We've covered that they should try to pray as much as they can of the prayers in the masjid. When they go in the masjid, they should make the niyah of i'tikaf. Because of the position that you're allowed, any time that you spend in the masjid, you can make the niyah of i'tikaf. But this is a time of isolation and worship. So every time they go into the masjid, they can make that intention. It's a good thing to do. Even if it's a small amount of time. And they should go to Baqiyah if they're able to do so. 
and uh, the family of the Prophet ﷺ is buried there. The Sahaba are buried there. Many Tabi'een, many righteous people, ulama, especially if they can do it on Jummah, it's good. If you go on the Islamic Landmarks book, he tells you some of those things, uh, like who's where. But um, a lot of people are there buried there, from the family of the Prophet ﷺ, from the Sahaba, and so on. Um, <coughs> when you go to Baqiyah, you make the dua of entering the graveyard. Assalamu alaikum, dar al-qawmin mu'mineen. And inshallah, we will be able to do it. Allah will make dua for them, that Allah forgives them. Um, it's, it's recommended also to go to visit the graves of Uhud, which we'll do, inshallah. The martyrs of Uhud, especially Hamza, radiallahu <coughs> It's very much recommended to go to Quba. The Prophet said, Salatun fi masjidin Quba ka Umrah. That praying in the masjid of Quba is like going to Umrah. And the Prophet himself, used to go on on uh, Saturdays. He used to go on Saturdays and visit, visit Masjid Quba and pray there. Uh, and of course, to just keep in mind that you're in the city of the Prophet ﷺ. Keep it in your heart that you're in the city of the Prophet ﷺ. Best of adab, best of conduct, best of character. Giving to charity to those who are in need. Not raising one's voice, not getting into arguments. Um, and trying to have the best character and conduct possible uh, when in the city of the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, Abu, uh, it's narrated from Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu an la yanbaghi rafu sawtin inda nabiyyan ala nabi hayyan wala mayyitan that Abu Bakr said it's not appropriate to raise your voice in front of the Prophet sallallahu in his life or in his death okay, this, you're in the city of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa so Abu said Imam Malik used to not wear his shoes in Medina he wouldn't wear his shoes they went to his house one time, they found a bunch of animals outside his house And they're like, wow, mashallah, you have so many riding animals and stuff He's like, take whatever you want, I don't use them because I can't use these in Medina <laughs> I'm not going to ride an animal in the city of the Prophet So like, there's like this understanding, you know uh, that Aisha radiallahu anha, she, she used to, if she heard a voice Of like a nail being ha- hammered or something around her house She'd send them a note and tell them don't 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 harm the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, like don't make these kinds of noises close to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is after he died sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's said about Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu that if there were like certain things he wanted to do in his house, he would leave his house like work. He would leave his house and he would take it outside further from the from the Prophet sallallahu because his house is right next to the Prophet sallallahu He would take it to a distance and he would do it there so that it wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't be making loud sounds close to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So you know, to have the general etiquettes, everything else that we already said, we ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to give us the the blessing of this visitation. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam.